ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. Trying to think if I got any like funny or clever or interesting story to hit you with uh, from this week. I just want to know this. Is it actually spring where you live? Like, what is this spring thing? I have a recollection of spring from the different places that I've lived. But it's May the whatever, and I ain't seen no spring. Y'all got spring where y'all from? People are talking about it's hot as hell in Texas right now. Well, it ain't here, Jack. Now, I will admit that today was the uh, first day that I could, like, hey, not the first. Saturday. Saturday was nice. But then it was nice until it wasn't nice. Like, I got back at my crib at, like, 4 o'clock. and was like, yo, I'm going to go do something else. Then I look up in the sky, and all I saw was omens. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, but today, man, it was like kind of nice. It reminded me like, yo, spring apparently is right around the corner, man. It's supposed to be 64 degrees and raining on Monday, according to the little weather thing on my computer. And I need you to explain to me what the hell that got to do with spring. Help me help you. Like it's Memorial Day and shit, that's next week. What are we doing? What is this? Al Gore tried to tell y'all about this, but y'all being hard-headed. Stop being hard-headed. However, what you could do is start sending in questions. I see that a lot of y'all just want to come here and hang out without putting in your share. And I'm looking in the questions, and y'all ain't put in your share. But I'll go ahead and answer one. So is Phil going to try to host the podcast next? Have you guys heard about Phil? Y'all need me to tell you about Phil? Because I can tell you about Phil. So a friend of mine hits me up. She sends me a screenshot of sorts. It's some dude who's on Tinder calling himself Phil and using a photo array of me that, like, really goes across almost a decade. No lie. Almost a decade. And he claimed he was some kind of lawyer or whatever it was. Now, I think he was operating on a fairly interesting premise here, and I think what he was going for was Women probably don't watch that much ESPN. And therefore, they won't realize that he owned that bullshit. And I don't know how many times this has worked, but even if it did work, it's going to catch up to you, right? I mean, eventually, in order to try to make it to get it popping, you're going to have to be the one to show up. But a friend of mine told me this story. I'm saying a friend of mine I ain't going to identify, her, but still, this is pretty amazing. She said she went to meet, she had met some dude on one of the maps. They did the little matchy match, you know? And uh, she says the dude put in his profile that he was six foot six. But before they met up, 
he acknowledged that he was actually five foot two. And she's like, I mean, there's no way that you're that he, that 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 this dude is actually five foot two. And so they go meet for coffee, and sure enough, homeboy was five foot two. Dead ass me, five foot two. And now, as I'm recording this, I look in the chat room. And my man, Mr. Dope, said if he listened to you, he should have said he's your twin. How many people here know the story of my twin brother? I know some of y'all know the story of my twin brother, but I imagine some of y'all do not know the story of my twin brother. Would y'all like to hear the story of my twin brother? Anybody? All right. So I was a senior in high school. And I met this girl. Was I senior? I don't know. Yeah, I was 16. I was a senior. So I met this girl because she knew my homeboy. And then she made like the super press on me that honestly, 16-year-old me was simply not equipped to handle. I ain't really dig her like that anyway. But, like, her press was harder than, like, I just wasn't there yet. You know what I'm saying? Like, I had not gotten to this place. But I do remember I had a pager at the time because that was the thing to do. And one day she sent me, like, ten voicemails in a row. Like, she was just paging me over and over again. And I remember one day my homeboy was like, hey, she found out where you live she's coming over to your house right now so i told my mom what was going on and my plan was to jet right like get in the car and go somewhere I learned something that day about where my mama's loyalty lies in these moments of conflict. And they lie with the X chromosome. She wasn't really hearing about me trying to make this escape. Like you call my parents' house and my mama recognize your name and say that she ain't been able to catch up with one of us. She's snitching. She's giving up the info. I've like, I've seen this. I witnessed it. And this was my moment. Now, please understand, I didn't ever do anything to lie to this girl or deceive this girl or anything else. All my mama knew was she might have been getting done wrong. And so she wasn't going to let me leave. So this girl showed up to the house. We talked for a little bit while she stood on the porch. Did I tell you where she was on her way back from when she got to my house? She was on her way back from taking her pet Vietnamese pot belly pig to take pictures with Santa Claus. I'm just taking a little bit of a break for you to let that register. She had a Vietnamese potbelly pig that she kept as a pet. And she had taken that Vietnamese potbelly pig to Santa Claus to take pictures. Yeah. 
So anyway, fast forward a little bit. I ain't really thought too much of her. It's like the week of Thanksgiving. And I'm at my homeboy's house. We sitting upstairs. We either playing Genesis or watching TV. You know what I'm saying? One of the two. And so he goes, he answers the phone, and then he comes back. And he tells me that it was old girl on the phone. And she, oh, actually, I forgot. The Vietnamese pot belly pig story comes after this story in the chronology. My fault. So anyway, no, it didn't. That, that doesn't matter. Sorry. So my homeboy comes back. It was like, yo, that was old girl on the phone. And I'm like, oh, damn. He's like, yo, uh, she was asking where you was at. I was like, what'd you tell her? He said, I told her that you was at the Bayou, go be at the Bayou Classic with your family. And I'm like, hell yeah. Good looking out, homie. So anyway, me and that same homeboy, it's like the Saturday after Thanksgiving. You know, we go to the mall. I don't really know how much kids be going to the mall these days. But the mall used to be just a spot to go to. You ain't really have, you ain't need to be able to get into nothing. You go play some video games if you want it. But we was just, you know, you just go to the mall. So we was at the mall. We had gone to Taco Bell. I'll always remember the Taco Bell at Willowbrook Mall, Willowbrook Mall in that era because it was the Taco Bell next to the Japanese joint. And the Taco Bell had the Asian dudes working the grill, and the Japanese joint had the Mexican dudes working the grill. Whatever, right? So we had gone to Taco Bell because we knew a dude who worked there who always had this bad habit of cracking the taco shells, and we'd watch him, and he would always be trying to slide a second shell on you. You had to look out when that dude was working at the Taco Bell. But we finished eating our tacos. You know, we like 16 years old, so we was probably eating six, seven tacos at a time. They was 59 cent back in the day. I don't know what the tacos cost at Taco Bell these days. It used to be 59, 79, 99. I sound like them people who tell you about how you used to be able to get chips at a soda for 10 cents. But anyway, why they still cost 59 cents? Wow, they must be made with the worst meat ever. Don't eat those. So after we get up from eating our Taco Bell, we walking down the way. And I look up, and like at twenty paces, man, there go that girl that think I'm in a that think I'm at the Bayou Classic. And so I see her, and I'm with my man, and I'm like, "Yo, turn around! Yo, turn around! Yo, turn around!" He ain't get he ain't get the understanding of why we need to turn around as fast as I told him to turn around. So I just turn around. I dipped. I vamped. I was Audi 5000. I was somewhere in the mall. I just got to walking around. I saw some people I knew. I ain't know what to do. I ain't know if I could stand. I don't know if I could be in place. I don't know, man. Like, all I was trying to do was just keep it moving in the mall. I ain't had no strategy. This is before the era of the cellular telephone. So I couldn't just leave my man up there. So I'm just walking around, man, just walking around, just just, just trying not to be seen, just, just trying to keep it moving. So I'm keeping it moving. I'm going around that thing, whatever it is. Then at some point, I see my man and I see old girl. And I'm like, yo, man, you know, the jig's up. 
ain't nothing I can do. The jig's up. So I had to start walking slow, and I start walking toward him. And as I'm getting a little closer, I hear it ringing out in the mall. Hey, yo, Patrice! And as soon as my man said that, I knew what time it was. I knew what time it was right then. We had never even done this before. But I knew what time it was. I got closer. I got closer. I got right up to him. And my boy was like, hey, that's Bo's twin brother, Patrice. And our girl was like, yo, y'all twins? I said, yeah, we twins. So if I hate that dude, stay getting all the girls and shit. Like, I just started dogging Bo out. You know what I'm saying? I was just hating on Bo. Patrice, Patrice ain't got no love for Bo. No whatsoever. I rolled that out, man. I remember another time we went to some party that she threw. And she come up to me. She's like, wait, are you Bo or are you Patrice? And then she and, and then she called some people over and was like, yo, he has got a twin brother who looks just like him. Yeah, man. So, yeah, you're right. Maybe that's the way that Phil should have played it. Phil should have tried to play it like he was my twin brother, except if they named one of us Bomani, they ain't naming the other one Phil. Like, you're going to need to come up with a, with a different sort of uh, alias if you was going to run the twin brother hustle. Yeah, man. Hey, yo, Patrice. Uh, somebody said the real question, where is she now? That is a very good question. I have Googled. I have tried to find her. I have had no such luck. I'm very curious what she's up to. Because with my luck, she probably turned out to be fine as hell. Somebody told me I should bring her on a podcast. Why? Why? Why in the world would she want to come on this podcast to be associated with that story for when she was like 15 or 16? Bernard? How stupid is that? I'm not saying you stupid, Bernard, but you have to acknowledge that that is stupid. Y'all be saying some stupid. It's like the dumbest things on here sometimes. The video of Jay-Z and Beyonce sitting courtside when Beyonce had that look in her eye looking at LeBron. I try not to get into that type of mess thinking Beyonce was ready to risk it all, but have you had an awkward situation like that? Like, am I the LeBron in that situation or the Jay-Z? Because if I'm the Jay-Z in that situation, I sure hope not. In the LeBron situation, I did one time have a friend of my parents grab my booty right in front of her husband when I graduated from college. That was a little weird. Wow, a little surprised that he get a better reaction in the chat room. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. The short answer is not enough. 
you were talking on the right time about how mind-blowing the woo were for people of a certain age due to their unique sound. Do you think the same applies for Kanye and college dropout? As hearing those samples at 13 was for me a similar vibe to what you're describing. No, I don't. If I if the way I said it on the on the right time was limiting limiting things to, with the woo to just their sound. No, 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 no. This was about a lot more than the sound. Uh, Showtime got a documentary called "Of Mics and Men." It's really, really, really dope. Um, I recommend you check it out. And it's fairly it's self produced, so there's a certain measure of sterility that is involved there. Like I think somebody said the Rolling Stone review mentioned that they really kind of skip over the ODB's drug problem, which is a hundred percent correct, but I still found it to be illuminating. And I, I guess some punches were pulled, but some punches certainly landed. But the thing about the woo was the woo was out here selling a model of cooperative capitalism. That was absolutely captivating at the time. Like, they seem to have figured out how to beat the idea of the record label. They seem to figure out how to get everybody rich, even though it's nine dudes. And they all seem to be doing it together. And it was this crazy, like, churn of output that was going and going and going and going and going. And, like, if you had a squad of partners, that's what you wanted your squad to be. Now, add to that the fact that the sound was totally unique. And, like, I really liked Woo, but, yeah, yeah. Even Rizzo will tell you, looking back on it, some of them beats wasn't the heat that we thought they were. But it was kind of the spirit and the idea and the intellectual concept behind it and putting in the stuff with the kung fu movies and everything like that. Yeah, where Meth said that, I think he said, they had never heard the first album until Rizzo got finished with it. Like he said, they just recorded it. And they never heard it until he got finished with it. And Meth was like, yo, I thought that shit was amazing, man. I thought it was a movie. You know, like like that kind of thing. It's kind of crazy to hear. But no, nah, man, it was about ethos. And I think that in this documentary, you can see it. What it really shows in a lot of ways is how the ideas of cooperation and capitalism are largely antithetical to one another. And that in attempting to merge the two as they attempted to merge the two, the casualty was going to be friendship. Yeah, no, like, like, I mean, I thought it was really deep and I just came away like just the dudes are so smart and everything they were saying was so smart. It was just like, man, because I was thinking about them back in the day too, even though it sounded like they were talking gibberish a lot of times, everything just felt so smart about them, right? It was hood as fuck, but everything about them felt so smart. And that comes through in the documentary also. Also, the fun of the fact being that these dudes is like 45-year-old dudes, but they still talk like dudes in 1993 in a lot of ways. Like, they still absolutely 100% sound like the Wu-Tang Clan. And one of my favorite things in New York City is walking around and coming across dudes that's like 45 years old, and they still talk like that. It's fantastic. It brings me joy. Appreciate the question. All you people asking sports questions, it must be your first time. We don't do that here. Huh. Hey, Bo, since we close in age, what do you think about the lack of arts development these days? Back in the day, they was taught how to perform and to prepare. Now it seems like there's no showmanship anymore with the younger crowd. And honestly, the only conclusion that I can draw from that is that you must not be really like checking out what the younger crowd is doing. 
I don't think that's a fair uh, criticism of a lot of people, the idea that there's no showmanship. In fact, I would say in rap, the level of showmanship is actually kind of stepped up as we moved away from the idea of rap being like a stripped-down deconstruction of what existed previously in the pop culture space, to people kind of resisting against that and then themselves starting to add some of the elements that we ourselves stripped away. And now, nah, man, I went to go see a J. Cole show. I guess this is now like 2012. I saw him in Greensboro, and I granted that's a long time ago, and I, but I still feel like he counts in that young generation. Man, that dude had a damn light show and all this stuff going. Live band, like all of this. Yeah, no, I think they're doing all right on the show part. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Over or under 30 people running for president in 2020. So if I'm not mistaken, we sitting on like 23 or 24. I know there's 22 Democrats plus Trump. Plus, isn't there somebody that's at least trying to pretend like he going to primary him or something like that? I mean, ain't nobody else. If you ain't said you's about to do it by now, then chances are you ain't about to do it. I am just fascinated by the ego that is required to decide that you are going to try to run for president of the United States. Oh, that's right. De Blasio talking about he going to run. Like, you're, you're not going to win. Like, no matter who you are, your chances of winning this are so minuscule. Like, when you think about it, Obama was really swimming against the current win, and it didn't look like he had that much chance, but he went in there and he figured out how to make it work. You know how crazy of an ego you got to have to be like, nah, here's what my black ass is going to do. I'm about to go show these folks in Iowa I'm what they need to be the president of the United States. You about to do what? Like, they ain't even heard of you. Like, at least they had heard of Jesse Jackson before. They ain't even never heard of you. All these cats, like like the homie Mayor Pete. Like, I ain't really going to get into the positions and all that stuff right now because I ain't reading all this stuff about these people in that way overall. But Mayor Pete is the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. He got the audacity to run for president of the United States. Have we spent enough time talking about the fact that we are allowing this? That's like being a borough president in New York and then running for president. Hey, yo, we really doing? Okay. It's just, just what it is. And he on the cover of magazines and everything else. And I'm like, for real, how you not, how you ain't got no other job? Like, you don't feel like you need, you don't feel like you need to get yourself a little bit of training at something else? Something a little bigger than running South Bend? Oh, okay, cool. Knock yourself out. That's how you feel. Cory Booker, like, like, I feel like Cory Booker. It's like Cory Booker is about to put out the best Lil John album that Lil John never made. Except it's 2009, and that's over now. We already did that. Your time has gone, has come. Your time is gone. I will tell you the other thing for you to note about this presidential election, right? It is amazing how much differently people write about you when you're not running against Ted Cruz. Now, you feel the way you want to feel about Ted Cruz. You feel the way you want to feel about Beto or whatever. But 
Beto looked really likable to a lot of people standing next to Ted Cruz. Now he looked like white privilege. Joe Biden. Joe Biden looked a whole lot different standing next to Barack Obama. Now Joe Biden out here standing by himself and people are remembering things that honestly could have, should have come up in 2008 if you're that damn mad. These are just observations that I have about how all of this is going to go. And you know what? I'm tired of this shit already. The election is in 18 months. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else you got here. I was playing 2K with my homeboy the other day. We was arguing hard as hell, and my wife thought we was going to come to blows. Have you ever played a game that made you legit mad or seen someone get legit mad? Of course I have played a video game and gotten legitimately mad. Of course I have seen people play video games and get legitimately mad. And of course I have heard and have lots of stories about people getting very, very mad while video games are being played. But you know what none of those stories involve? Somebody old enough to have a wife. And look, I don't know. Maybe it's like you was in the service. You know, like you 18, you ain't got deployed yet. But I kind of feel like at this point in your life, I feel like it shouldn't be like that. Maybe that's just me. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. How would you feel if you went to school knowing your teacher has a gun and is forced to stay ready? Um, Gotta say, not a comforting feeling. They talk about giving teachers the heat to be in the classroom. But my question for you is, stay ready for what? Stay ready for what? Because I don't know. I feel like giving guns to figures of authority in the presence of black people doesn't work out so well. Now, does it? I don't really know how this is going to go. I'm not thinking that much. Like, so here's the thing. We obviously have far too many people like running up in schools and shooting and doing all of these things. We got far too many people running up in the mall, like all of this. And the thought of somebody running up in a school is like really terrible and really hits people in the heart as well as should. But I I don't feel like, and I could be wrong because I don't have kids, but I don't feel like if I had kids and I dropped them off that like I'm just, my primary concern is somebody is going to run up in there and somebody's going to shoot up the school. Like it's a fear, but it's not the like, not nearly at the point where I feel like they need to have guns up in there. But now that they got guns in there, I got a lot of questions about who these people are that's going to have these guns and how do we make sure they don't shoot my child? 
I think that's a fair question. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Guys, I'm gonna need I'm I need a little more. I don't want to have to cut this short. All right, I'll do this. I've recently started using Scentbird, a cologne subscription service. I kind of dig it. Do you have do you do any kind of subscription services, clothes, etc.? How do you feel about them? I ain't really like got no subscription services. Honestly, I ain't thought about cologne in so long. Like cologne is kind of an interesting concept, ain't it? Like, how many people, like, regularly wear cologne? Because I don't regularly wear cologne. I haven't regularly worn cologne since I was, like, 14 or whatever. And I have to admit, I associate cologne with, like, schemers, man. Like, somebody who ain't to be trusted. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with smelling good. I'm just saying I really realize that I got a bias against people who wear cologne. Or maybe against people who wear cologne that I can smell. Because we all know if there is any sign that something ain't right, it's somebody wearing too much cologne. Like, how is there how how many warning signs are more universally recognized than somebody wearing too much cologne? I can't think of anything that rang out like that. Appreciate the question. See what else here. Well, I just saw a good one and it disappeared. Where'd it go? Damn, where'd it go? Oh, there we go. Somebody voted up. You talk with Mina about how you can ignore critics pretty well. Did it take you a while to get to that point? Honestly, it did not. I appreciate those of you who appreciate me, but like, I don't even say this defensively. Like, I think a lot of people say things like I'm probably going to say, and it's really just defense and they just protecting themselves. But I'm not that concerned with what most of y'all think. I am concerned with what some of y'all think. I am also concerned with how people feel, which is a much different thing than being concerned with what people think um, in ways good and bad. But no, I just don't care. Um, I got people who I respect, and the people that I respect, I listen to them and what they tell me. I hear their word, and I go from there. Um, but like, this is like random people on the internet. Like, I am blown away by how much attention and like how much airspace people are willing to give. Like these random people that are out here, just popping shit. Like people who don't actually know you. People who do not know anything that is real about you. Like, I don't know. That being said, those of you who know me will also tell you this. I don't really care about y'all's compliments either. Like, I appreciate your appreciation. You know, like, like when it feel like substance, when it feel like real, I appreciate your appreciation. But I don't get gassed up by the nice things that people say about me either. Like, you can't be that. I... And and look, this outlook that I have does not necessarily make my life as, as much easier as one would think. But I'm just kind of impervious. I think 
somebody told me they might have been reality told me this once. He was like, yo, you do not see yourself as other people see you. And that's correct. I'm pretty squarely grounded um, in where I am. I also recognize that that makes me not like always the easiest person to live with or deal with or whatever it is. Because, um, hey, you know, I care. You know? But that's the thing. I'm just not really tripping on what everybody else out here got to say about this. There's only one answer that's ultimately going to matter. No matter how all y'all feel about something, no matter what, whether all y'all feel good or all y'all feel bad, the only thing that's really going to have a true effect on my life is like how I feel and what I think about it and what I can live with. So I always just feel like you got to take the insights that people give you and try to create the best version of you. But I can't be worried about what y'all think. I'll never get any, I'll never get any work done. Appreciate the question. I think we got time for a couple more. Apologies if you've answered this before, but what similarities do you find between talking to college students and breaking down ideas like abolishing the draft? Interesting you would mention that. Now, granted, I was talking about like abolishing the NBA draft on Twitter today, and I obviously was not talking about it in that place like I would talk about it to college students because I was probably being an asshole about it. Um, but it's basically the same stuff. So to me, the way that I like generally would approach trying to like handle a concept like that, it's all in small bites, man. Start small, get big. All right, start small, get big. Get to little things. I, what you got to get to to me is the things that are incontrovertibly true. And if you got a series of things that are incontrovertibly true and you can put them together to draw a logical conclusion, it's a lot easier to get people to understand what it is that you're talking about. And so when you talk about something like getting rid of the draft, it's similar, like what you're challenging is something that most people have never considered. You're challenging the status quo in their minds. And so their default is you have to have this. And then you go with, why do you have to have this? And then they'll answer for you these things. And then when they give you these reasons that you have to have the draft, you explain one by one why those reasons are not so necessary and how you can still create the same outcomes they claim to desire without having the draft. And then you ask them again, well, if I could do it this way, if I could do it this way, then why do you have to have the draft? And then what you do from there is you force people to challenge their own assumptions themselves. And they got the facts directly in front of them. Now they get to answer the question in a lot of ways for themselves. Because to me, what is interesting about people fighting for the draft is not that they think the draft is okay, but it's the fervor with which they argue for it. And what I would be trying to do with a college student, because it's not really my job to explain the concept to them. That's not their job to learn it. It's not necessarily my job to teach it. What I would view in that setting is my job is to get them to ask themselves, damn, why am I fighting for this so hard in spite of obvious incontrovertibly true facts? That would be the way that I would go about it. Appreciate the question. Let me see what we got here. Steve Harvey is losing gigs recently. Is his recent behavior, property moves, how he talked to Monique, a prime example of hustling backwards? I don't really know anything about the property moves. I know I did kind of read one of these stories um, about what's going on, and it seems that, at least according to that story, Steve is kind of caught in some politics going on within NBC Universal. I don't know if that's true. What I do know, though, is everybody who was like, damn, Steve Harvey talked crazy to Monique. Lee Daniels talked crazy to Monique. And now they shows are getting canceled. Ha ha ha. 
wow, so you're telling me that that show that Lee Daniels did that had six seasons is getting canceled and that's the universe like 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 stepping on him? Like I know Star got canceled, but I mean, I don't see how that ever had a chance in the first place. Um, same thing with Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey out here hosting the family feud. Steve Harvey been making all this money. And now you out here like, oh, you told Monique to play the game. Now you're getting fired. How much money did he make before they fired him? Like, for real. How much money did Steve Harvey make off of all of these gigs before they fired him? Like, this is not the counter argument to him telling Monique, you got to play the game. Because if Steve Harvey say you got to play the game in order to get to where Steve Harvey is, you, I'm inclined to listen to him. Now, I ain't like the way that he talked to Monique. I ain't like the way that he handled any of that. That wasn't good business, right? However, don't pretend for a second like Steve Harvey has not been massively successful. Now, would you be willing to do some of the things that Steve Harvey may have done to be successful? I don't know. But if the universe comes back to get you after six seasons of a television show, you had a nice run. You dap the universe up and say, yo, I had my time. They're like, Monique probably laughing. I mean, I bet she laughing, but I bet one, I tell you what Monique ain't doing. Monique ain't going back to that house Steve Harvey going to. Like, like it or not, that's kind of indisputable. Appreciate the question. Let's see what we got here. I'm the black guy that white people ask their questions to regarding their black issues. I hate to answer them because we aren't a monolith. How do you handle these types of questions if you get them? Yeah, nah. Um, I don't kind of snap white folks out of that myself. Perhaps you need to cast a more imposing presence. It's the same dude that be out here fighting with his partner over video games. In fact, maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you need to invite them white folks over to your house to watch you and your homeboy fight over a video game. I bet they won't ask you about nothing ever again. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Evening Jones. We do this thing about once a week or so, give or take. My man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Remember, if you cannot watch The Evening Jones live, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the iTunes store. Subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. We are also at the Google Play Store. All right. Talk to you guys a little later. Take it easy. <laughs>